TYB On The Run with your host, Katie Halday. This is your daily Bible blast, the perfect fit for your busy life. Just one chapter, one revelation. This will change your life. Hi, TYB On The Run. Well, welcome to James 2. If you haven't listen to James 1, I'm just going to ask you to jump back because that's kind of got all the historical context that we're going to build upon as we go through to James 2. So let's jump in. Favoritism forbidden. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting. Sorry, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a distant, different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Here we go. This is a really controversial chapter, guys. 
because Martin Luther actually in the Reformation time, when he went through this understanding of, of Paul that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and kind of removed this religious legalism from Christianity that said that there's nothing that you can do to be saved. It is a gift of God. You are saved by grace. It's just through faith in Jesus Christ alone. What Martin Luther actually did with the with this book of James was he didn't he kind of put it at the end of his Bible because he thought it contradicted Paul. <laughs> actually, when the canon was put together, they actually really had to question James because it does seem like it contradicts the biblical doctrine. What do I mean by biblical doctrine? The Bible is put together not manipulated, you know, like the Da Vinci Code tells us. The Bible is put together by men who looked at texts and said, this is what our doc, this is what we believe. Now, the texts that weren't in this Bible, for example, one Tim, uh, Timothy, sorry, the Gospel of Timothy, are all texts that, are, one, are not written by the author. They're, they're a fake document, so to speak. But two, they've got things in them that do not align with the teaching of Christ that do not align with the early church doctrine. And this is how we can be so safe and secure in our Bible. We can be so safe and secure that what we have here is truth and doctrine that we can build our life upon. Now, when they looked at James, you can hear that that he's quite cranky. Again, he's the head of the church in Jerusalem at this time. He is a very Jewish understanding of Christianity because we're very early in the doctrine and the development of the doctrine or the thinking, let me say that word, the development of the thinking of the church. We're very early because James was written quite early. We're in the 40s here, guys. Um, you know, late, the, the, the New Testament is is written between 40s, all the way through to 95. So this do- this document has 50 plus years of years of, of um, development of what we are to think as Christians, how we are to act as Christians. So James is very early in that development of what does a Christian look like? How are we to act? But I love his wisdom and I don't think it contradicts Paul. So let's have a look. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Oh, this is so good. Can I say when status and position comes into the church, that's when we have an issue. When when you're chasing the pulpit because you want recognition and you're not happy to clean the toilets because you're, you know, chasing the ministry, we have a pride issue. That is the very arrogance of a Pharisee. They have position and power and look down on, on the, the other people. The gospel show us that Jesus, the greatest king above all kings, came as a suffering servant. Jesus Christ himself, who had every right to have position and power, chose to um, submit, chose to be the servant of all, and that is our real, that is who we follow. So he says here, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes. Let's put this in today's um Um, position. Suppose a man comes in who is dressed in Armani and you can see he's very wealthy. He's got the right shoes on and the outfit and a homeless man comes in stinking of alcohol and poor. Says this, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, you know, for example, in our churches, you sit him up the front, you you take him to the green room, (laughs) you do what you honor him. Um, And then you turn around to the poor man and say, no, 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 you stand over there, James says, or sit on the floor by my feet, which was the most disrespectful thing to do to somebody. Sitting on the floor at your feet is like a dog. It's like a servant. He says, James says, don't do that. So for us it would be 
welcoming the green in the you know the businessman and the wealthy man into the green room, but making the homeless man sit in a seat up the back, or even worse, telling him to leave. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Oh, he says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, you can kind of hear the passion of James coming through. He says, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Again, he's reversing order. He's reversing status. James is is very passionate about reversing the things that, that seem normal to the world, but they're not supposed to be in the church. Your status and your position can, you know, in the world, can be that, but that does not come into the church. Rank and order does not come into the body of Christ. Um, I love this. And to inherit the, sorry, let me start again. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich who are, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you've gone? He said, they are not our target audience. Can I say church? Our target audience is everybody, business people, homeless people. Everybody should be included. Let me tell you a quick story. I shared this with um, the, the congregation that I preached to on Sunday. My grandmother went to St. Ives Uniting Church and she, it was a church that they, you know, all wore coats to church and hats and it was a very, it's a very wealthy area and it's a very beautiful church. Anyway, one Sunday they were midway through like in, in the service and this man came in the back and he was disrupting the service, you know. He, he was stunk of alcohol. He looked clearly homeless, dirty, and he came in the back door and he didn't do everything that the service people, the good congregational members did. <laughs> he didn't sit. He wasn't quiet, you know, and he came in the back. And and my grandmother, being a Sydney City Mission nurse who takes care of everybody and who would constantly have people in her home that I would get really nervous about, she'd pick up a homeless person and bring them home and feed them. She actually went to the back straight away and took care of this man. And she honoured him and she sat and all in her, all of her beautiful friends didn't care about the service, didn't care about the order of service. They sat with this man and they gave him a cup of tea and they fed him midway through the service, mind you. They didn't say you need to wait to, at the end while, you know, we have morning tea later because they didn't know if he was going to be there at the end. So grandma gave him a cup of tea in this, not in polystyrene, in a beautiful china cup and gave him, you know, the food that they had at the end and fed him and took care of him. Well, when the the time for the preacher to stand up to preach, the man actually got out of his seat and walked to the front. And my grandma said to me, I was just, oh my gosh, what do I do? (laughs) One, we're, we're interrupting the service as it was, you know, but the most important thing for her was to take care of him. She didn't care if the service got interrupted. And that's what I loved about my grandmother and my grandfather. When he walked to the front, He got up behind the pulpit and he said, I am actually your guest speaker. And and he read this scripture out. He said, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, God has, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich. I'm crying. I'm sorry. And to inherit the kingdom, he promised those who love him. And he said he came to see not how the church takes care of the guest preacher, but how the church takes care of the seemingly low, the ones that are that are not, you know, disrupting the service. And I want to say that to you, TYB. How does your church take care of the people? How does your church take care of those people who come in and are disruptive? You know, it was funny. Grandma spoke to him after and she said to me, um, he said, 
he has been to so many churches prior to that church and done exactly the same thing. And he said he actually got kicked out of one of them. <laughs> and then he had to come back in and go back and, and show in the cha- James chapter two that we should not show favoritism in the church. We have to treat everybody. There's no status and position in the body of Christ. And I absolutely love this. So guys, this is what James is saying in practical Let's keep going. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, I love this sense of, of honoring the text. Now, James is going to go a little bit Jewish on, his, on us here. He's going to talk about the law of Moses as something that we need to abide by because, again, we're very early in the doctrine. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, I love this, love your neighbor as yourself. And we know that that is found in Leviticus nineteen eighteen. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. He's basically saying if you show favoritism, you actually um, abolished and you are a sinner before the law. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And then he goes on and expands. He says, you know, we know it says you should not commit adultery and you should not commit murder. But if you commit murder, it's game over. You're a lawbreaker. Speak and act. Oh, TYB, that is what Christians are, speaking and actions. We are, we are dualistic in our, in our gospel message um, and our evangelism. We speak and we act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. I love this beautiful essence. This is why some people said James shouldn't be in the text because he talks about the law, Leviticus, as, as freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been, sorry, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. TYB, that is the heart of a Christian right here. James is saying in his church, in the Jerusalem church, and those scattered out there, now they're out in the community. Now they're not in their little church box. They're out, they're scattered amongst the nations. He's saying, act as though you are a Christian. Don't show favoritism when you come together. In those days, Paul actually addresses this as well. Paul says, don't you guys start eating when and, and then make the, the those who don't have food not eat? He said, that's disgusting. When you come around the, the table as the body of Christ, we are all in this together. So there's this beautiful, um, you know, systematic balance between what Paul says and James says. So let's have a look. What's What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? He's basically saying you can claim to be a Christian, but I'm going to watch you on Monday. <laughs> Sunday you look really good. Sunday you look all together. You're saying the right words. Your brother this, sister Sue, how are you doing? You're doing perfectly within the church. You walk out the door, but your actions after you get out of that service don't reflect Christ. And he's saying, that's your faith and your deeds not coinciding. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and I actually love the Message Bible in this, it actually says, be blessed, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we're kind of, we're kind of doing go, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. We're, we're saying something but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? Oh, I love this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, we know that this is kind of in direct retaliation to what Paul has been teaching. And he says, I'm going to balance this teaching of Paul out because at this point, 
It's the church is all about grace. And Paul has been pe- preaching grace and, and all of this beautiful, you are saved by grace. Don't worry about the law. The law's gone. Like in Romans, he says much later, and Romans is written much later after this text. He's saying, no, 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 we don't need to worry about the law, which is right. But they had become so abusive of the grace of God that James, the kind of wisdom old senior pastor, steps in and says, hey, 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 guys, we've got to balance this doctrine out. This, this, is, this is going way too far in our congregation. They have to know that there's a boundary. They have to know. They're gonna, we want them to stay away from the boundary, but they have to know that they can't just rely on their faith and their grace. They have to be doers of the word of God. And he says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. If you don't have actions with your Christianity, he's saying your faith is dead. Quite con- quite convicting, isn't it? But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Now, I love this. We kind of bypass this one statement, but let me explain this to you. It's like the understanding that, that ministers, and I'm, I'm a minister, so don't, don't, don't shoot me just yet. Ministers are holy and what they do is holy and what, what the businessman or the, the work the tradie, what they do is is not holy. There's a separation between faith and deeds here that he's saying some people have faith, knowledge, biblical knowledge and understanding, but there's no actions with it. He said that there is actually no separation. Ministry is life applied. When you are in ministry, preaching, teaching, all of those things, it, it has to penetrate your whole life, not just what you do on Sundays. Your ministry is your family during the week. Your ministry is your family that don't believe in what you're doing. They are part of your ministry. Same with if, if you are in a workplace where you, it's, you don't seem like you're in ministry. Everything we do is ministry. Why? Because our actions reflect our faith. You are a mum in ministry because your actions as a mum reflect your faith. Faith and actions are one. Everything you are, it's like saying, you know, excuse me, that your cells can be separated. When you get saved, you are saved, body, soul, and spirit. And I know some of you are going, Katie, no, the soul's not saved. But I'm saying you are holistically saved. Your body has to respond to salvation. You have to be a doer as well as faith. And don't let me get too passionate about that. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. I love this. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Oh, my gosh. I love James. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Now he's going he's gonna to take you on this journey. Come with me, TYB. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Abraham was considered righteous because of his actions. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Can you feel that? Your faith is made by complete when it drops from knowledge of God to your heart that encompasses your whole being. Some people can remain Christians in their head only. And that's why when circumstances, when different doctrine, when different understandings come against them, they actually end up falling away. Why? Because the faith, the Christianity, the 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 salvation life of Christ didn't come out of their head into their heart to penetrate their whole being. It didn't transform them in their actions because they kept it in their head. If you are struggling with with being a head Christian, let it 
drop into your heart. Now, I know that that's, that's quite scary because head is safe. Heart is all encompassing. It means you are opening the door to God and saying, come on in or every room is available to you. And I understand keeping him in your head is actually a safety mechanism, but that is not where Christ lives. Christ is in all of us, in our actions, in all of our being, and he's got to come from just knowledge to knowing to doing. So that that is his essence of what James is saying. He says Abraham didn't just believe and think about believing in God, he acted on it. Let's keep going. And the scripture was fulfilled that that says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. The very same scripture that Paul uses <laughs> to say that we don't need to have anything to do with the law, but that's okay. We can have a chat about that. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, I know that Paul's saying you are saved by grace and faith alone, <laughs> but Paul actually says in Ephesians four good works. See, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, but there has to be a four. There has to be a four good works. When when Jesus speaks in Luke 4, his, his inaugural speech, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. When you are saved, it is because and to. There is always a purpose in your salvation, but there is all also a plan in it. You have to act it out. And that's what that's what Luke 4 says. Jesus knew he was anointed because and to. You are anointed because and to. There is always there is always an action in your anointing. I'm a teacher. Imagine if somebody had the anointing to teach. Imagine if I, having the anointing to teach, kept it to myself. I'm anointed because I can teach and I'm, I'm, you know, I have a passion to teach, but I never stepped into the two. I had the faith in my head to be a teacher, but I never did anything with it. That is as heartbreaking of you keeping your Christianity just in your head. There has to be actions because the world needs to see you. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Paul and James are very much the same, and I'm going to say it again. James says you have to have legs on your faith. It has to walk. It can't remain in church on Sundays. It has to come out and you you can't be a Sunday Christian. You've got to be a Christian in everything you do. And that is about just knowing Christ, letting it drop from your wisdom. Even today, right now, I can feel this understanding that your Bible wisdom is dropping from your head to your heart. And I can see that the Holy Spirit is dropping it from just knowledge to application. You are going to be a Christian, not just know about Christianity. Why? Because when you are acting, when it's when it's part of who you are, you won't leave it. When it's part of your identity, when Christ is everything in you, it's not just about faith and deeds. It is holistically a Christian. And that's what we want you to be, TYB. So I hope you've loved James too. Cannot wait to study the next chapter with you.